Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, episode 19, Dune. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. How are you doing, Elena? It's been a little, little bit of a pause between the last episode and this episode. Yeah, um, I'm doing well, very busy, um, mostly trying to get ready for Dragon Con, which is always a busy summer season in the maker uh in the maker studio yeah it's always such a hard thing to be a cosplayer uh before a big con because if you're if you don't cosplay yourself you've sometimes it's hard to really share with people how much work it is and it's summer and everyone's always like let's hang out and you're like i can't (laughs) yeah how lonely it is when you're like oh yeah i would so love to go do this social thing but i have you know uh, about 200 hours of time left that I can make 300 hours worth of costumes in. So, you know, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. I mean, and, and especially in, here in the city, you know, I get invited to things or there's cool events and, I, and and it's really hard to travel between the boroughs, especially on the weekends mm-hmm. and because the trains are always really, they're bad all the time, but they're really bad on the weekends. And, you know, I, I've been just just not going to things because I I don't have time and and it gets like you try not to build up a resentment sometimes because it's like people really just don't understand how much time this hobby takes and then like they see your costume and you've worked on it for a year and they're like wow that's really great you're really good at that and it's like no I'm not (laughs) no if I were really good at this I could do this in two weeks like the people on fucking uh you know project runway cosplay edition whatever that show (laughs) was called when it was on instead it's like let me you know spend three times as long as what a professional could do because i don't know what i'm doing and i have to like unmake shit and go back and like redo things better the second time because the first time just didn't work (laughs) yeah you have to invent the wheel and then teach yourself how to invent the wheel and then actually build Mm -hmm. the wheel and then install the wheel (laughs) yeah yeah it's so much learning and yeah i'm I'm actually besides uh, oh go ahead I, i was gonna say i'm actually excited that at least a couple of my costumes are not learning new things but simply exercising skills that i've already used before so that's kind of exciting and different yeah no that's always that's always a relief but then don't you feel the pressure to yeah then it has <laughs> to like, like be really not... good because yeah because you're not going to have the excuse of well this was totally experimental process it's like no I, I know what I'm doing and I just fucked it up I just suck <laughs> like no, no! <laughs> yeah I'm having this new problem where I only ever want to work on anything at like 10 30 that's when I want to start that's when I feel mm. like the energy come and you know it's like i need to go to bed <laughs> i'm fighting that uh are you i'm you know i'm are you reading anything or besides dune obviously um well let's see i i do try to keep up with my local science fiction club uh reading and um so i might possibly manage to bang through nosferatu it's a joe hill book um i think it's more horror than science fiction but we try and be inclusive to any of the nerdy brackets in town or a small town, a small club. So um, I might read that. I might not. I'll go to the discussion anyway because, you know, like that's the one social event I can get out to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still trying to fight my way through the Odyssey. 
um, <laughs> which I've been, it's been, an, it's been odyssey. an odyssey. I've been working on that since November when I got that fucking book. So that's, that's, I think it's fine to take that long to read, to read something like the odyssey, you know, especially yeah, if it's... you need to put it down for a while and then pick it up. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's a new translation and it's poetry. And so it's like, it's not that you're necessarily needing to like blow through it to get the story it's more like you want to read it you know when you're in the mood for that kind of telling it's it, it is a very different mode of, of story so cool what about you you got a, anything else that you're working on right now um gosh no i <laughs> <laughs> i've been watching a lot of television because i've been trying to craft uh, so I just finished the second season of Anne with an E. Uh, so I guess that maybe counts as a book since it's an adaptation of the Anne of Green Gables books. If uh, Optionated still existed, we would totally count it. Yeah, and it's actually really good. I mean, they've 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 added a lot and they've really updated it. I think to be relevant. Um, but it's still Anne in her puffy sleeves, and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that is that is one of the shows that's like I'm I can feel it. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast or just in person, but like for those of you listening who might not know this, I grew up under a rock of pop culture. Like basically the only thing I had in my childhood until about the mid or late 90s was books. Um, and I feel like I'm going back under a rock like that because I just I don't have good wi-fi to stream anything with i don't have like access to all of these shows that like everybody is watching um because i'm not urban anymore and i'm just so sad about it like i know that i could like make the time to you know like go into town and go to the coffee shop and download stuff on my phone or my computer to watch later but it's like too much of a of a investment to try and get there so instead i just like watch it pass me by very sadly and i'm like aware of all these things and yet almost completely ignorant of what they are that has to be really tough because i think that being a nerd is a lot of it is about consuming various kinds of media Mm -hmm. and you and to not be able to participate in a lot of that media because of where you live i mean yeah Mm -hmm. i don't i couldn't do it elena (laughs) i'd be freaking out I mean, look, I'm definitely, definitely regressing to like, you know, 19th century heroin here where instead of like being able to watch all the things and stay relevant, I'm creating all the things and maybe they'll be relevant, you know, to Mm -hmm. other people someday. So it's kind of a trade off. I have a lot more like creative time because I have less consumption time. But at the same time, I do feel adrift. (laughs) Like I'm washed up on some backwater planet <laughs> living in a cave. Good, good segue. <laughs> so speaking of childhood favorites, formative stories. Uh, <laughs> um, I So yeah, it was my turn to assign uh, a book. So I assigned Dune in response to the Matthew Swift uh, book that we read in the last episode. And I did that because the main character had... Uh, has the the blue within blue eyes as a joke, but also because I felt like in the Matthew Swift novels, the setting is just as much a character as any of the characters. And I thought, well, no better way to just, you know, swing Dune into the rotation. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, we are reading Dune by Frank Herbert. 
It was published in 1965, originally by an auto manual publisher called Chilton. Um, it is the number one selling sci-fi novel of all time. It won the Hugo Award in 1966 and the first ever Nebula Award for Best Novel. It's remained in the nerd zeitgeist since the 60s due to its wide appeal and its Shakespearean family drama. And there's a, been a contemporary interest in ecological fiction, especially since the 70s. So that's kind of kept it in rotation as well. Uh, there is an upcoming film being developed directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve who did Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 uh, listeners may be familiar with the David Lynch film from the 80s because it's a cult classic and it has amazing costumes and somewhat inexplicably guns that work while people yell <laughs> I personally love the sci-fi channel adaptations uh, they were they they made two miniseries the first one was based on Dune and then the next uh, miniseries was based on the two sequels uh, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune and there's some very famous people in those uh, William Hurt Susan Sarandon and James McAvoy uh, there's also been video games, tabletop games, cookbooks, and Frank's son <laughs> Brian has continued to produce stories set in the sci-fi Baroque Duneverse with his writing partner Kevin J. Anderson. And those have done very well. They sell very well, um, but they have mixed reviews. Uh, some of them I've enjoyed and some of them I haven't, but they do exist. Uh, so yes, uh, Elena, what is Dune about? Yeah, so before before we get into that, I just I would like to share a little bit of my personal history with Dune too. Uh because this is how I missed this book. I knew it existed. Everybody in my life said, "Oh, that's one of the science fiction classics." And I tried it when I was like 10 or 11. And then I tried it again when I was like 13 or 14. And I tried it again when I was like uh, somewhere between the end of high school and the first year or two of college. And I could never get past like the first 50 pages. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of has always kind of been my rule where like if a book doesn't grab me in like three chapters, 50 pages, I'm going to just take a pass. And I always assumed, you know what, that book's just like maybe a little too mature for me. I'll give up my own pretensions and like admit that I'm not ready. So uh, <laughs> uh, that being said, Rachel finally assigned me this book and uh, had 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 this not been for Rachel, I don't know that I would have made it past yet again that 50-page mark. So um, thank you, Rachel, for finally, like, kicking my ass into reading one of my literal life bucket list um, books. And, like, I don't know, like, definitely a demerit to my nerd cred that I hadn't read it yet. So <laughs> I'm actually very excited that you've read this uh, later in life because I was like you I picked it up when I was probably like 11 I think I was in like fifth grade and it was a little too much for me at that moment and mm -hmm. I didn't finish it and I picked it up again um, near the end of middle school and I was at the perfect age for it and I and I'm I have always wondered if Dune is good if you read it as an adult without having read it as a 15 year old uh, mm -hmm. so yeah so we'll see right. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, as to what this book is about, um, all right, this book is, like, I, I would almost call this a book a, a history of, um, like, a, a political history of a science fiction planet. Uh, basically, it centers on the Atreides family, specifically the young, uh, he's like 14, I think, when the novel opens, son and heir of the current Duke of Atreides. His name is Paul. Um, his mother uh, is like the consort of the Duke, but not officially his wife, and um, has basically been training him 
her his whole life uh in her uh weirding or witchy or you know Benny Gesserit ways which uh we'll get into I'm sure a lot later um and anyway the duke of Atreides is assigned by the emperor to go take uh control of the planet Dune which manufactures uh melange or spice which is the substance that allows for humans to basically pilot craft uh in an in, a, in an interstellar way, I'm guessing at like light speed or near light speed or something yeah. like that through wormholes. Yeah. It's not really explained, <laughs> but the spice is necessary for that kind of travel, and that kind of travel is necessary for this uh, empire of you know connected planets to remain an empire versus become separate un you know touchable planets. Um, and shortly after the Duke of Atreides and his family arrive on Dune, the last family that was running it, the Harkonnens, um, stage a coup, take it back. Paul and his mother are um, basically driven out to the desert to live among the free people um, in the desert in the pretty much harshest possible you know, life conditions you can live in. And his father is killed, and uh, it's kind of the story of Paul becoming a uh, rallying cry for the freemen of the desert, or the the Fremen, I guess is what they call themselves, um, to over like to stage a coup against the Harkonnens and the em- emperor himself, and basically take the planet um, democratically. So, sure, um, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the what it's about in a sort of literal way yeah yeah that's the those are the big that's the big plot points um before we before we uh go any further i did want to read so the the structure of dune which was new to me when i read it when i was 15 but if you know not new if you read a lot of science fiction or even sometimes even fantasy from the 60s um it's broken into three sections and it is it's written as if it is a it is a collection of history that was put together and kind of edited by the princess Irulan, who is the the daughter of the emperor, and so she has these little asides and quotes and and catechisms and things that she she introduces each chapter with, and the beginning is very famous. So I'm going to read it. A beginning is the time for taking the most delicate care that the balances are correct. This every sister of the Bene Gesserit knows. To begin your study of the life of Muad'Dib, then, take care that you first place him in his time, born in the 57th year of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, and take the most special care that you locate Muad'Dib in his place, the planet Arrakis. Do not be deceived by the fact that he was born on Caladan and lived his first 15 years there. Arrakis, the planet known as Dune, is forever his place. So you never actually really meet Irulan in the book until the very, very end. Uh, but if you watch the movie, she's kind of a one of the main characters and one of um, one of the three kind of important women in Paul's life. He's also known as Muad'Dib. That's one of his Fremen names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. It does take a very long time for anything to fucking happen. Um, there's a lot of setup, right? You get like, what's the, what are the Atreides about? What are the Harkonnen about? You know, what, what is Dune? How does their economy kind of work? 
Uh, and you think that that's all leading to something, but really it's just kind of setting the scene so that everything can go to shit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of well, what you the, had a hard time getting to is the part where everything goes to shit. And that's when it gets interesting. Right. Well, the other thing that was that was very difficult for me, and I, I don't know whether like I don't remember this being difficult for me before. I just remember being fucking bored and not giving <laughs> a shit. And I was just like, who are these people? Why am I supposed to care about them? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm done. Like, whereas this time I was honestly, like, very almost, like, emotionally, like, affronted because you're you're immediately, like, in a narrative sense, you are meant to like and respect the Duke of Atreides. And uh, you're also told, like, literally with his, the introduction of this character that he is going to die or po- perhaps even before he comes on stage. Like, you were mm-hmm. told there is no hope for the father. Like, his, his fate is sealed. He will die. And mm-hmm. so then you have and this Errol person, spoils you know, it as well. Yeah. Yeah, who comes on stage and you actually like him and respect him and you're, you know, you have that like foreboding, you know, feeling that this person's like not going to make it. And like, even if like, I don't know, it made it very difficult for me like to emotionally then let myself care, which is hard for me. It's something I'm discovering about myself. If if I'm not emotionally invested in characters, a book is very difficult for me to like Mm -hmm. get into. And so because I knew that, that he was going to die, I didn't want to like emotionally invest since I think I was also like resistant because of that. And I was like, you know, and once he like to me, the part where the book kind of picked up and got like somewhat pleasurable to read was like basically the point where the the first coup happens. He is captured you know, are Paul and his mother going to escape? Um, are any of the other side characters that we've met going to escape with them? You know, um, mm-hmm. and sort of watching the the Duke have his final like dignified showdown with the Harkonnen uh, Baron. And so that was where like it was a hundred. It was page one hundred and sixty two in my edition. <laughs> yeah. It was well past like the first quarter of the book, and I'm like, yeah, I can see have a have a lot of sympathy for past me and why I never got into it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was a I steep think, hill. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you like draw out the plot, it's a very isosceles triangle. There's a lot mm-hmm. of rising action, and then kind of like there's the first dip where they get where the the Atreides fall, Paul and Jessica escape, mm-hmm. and then there's kind of a little bit of like a, a lull while they become integrated into the Fremen, and then actually like a lot of time goes by. Um, Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time and you know a short amount of pages and a lot of time goes by and then he's Muad'Dib and he's you know he's the the Kwisatz Haderach and like the war happens and the shield wall comes down and the Fremen attack and then it's over Uh, so it's 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 a lot packed into the very back of the book yeah like the 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 pacing on on this one was weird because um like there like there's definitely a point where I started realizing how long like the author was taking to tell certain aspects of the story and it's like mm-hmm. okay this is giving me a, a much better sense of 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 my, like my reading timing and whether I can skim and how fast I would go if I if I need to you know if I decide I I just hate it and I can't do it mm-hmm. like I can't give it a careful read I'm going to skim like what would I do you know like you have to get a sense of the narrative flow for that and it was just kind of weird how some things were just incredibly drawn out and then you know like for a book this long in some ways like not all that much actually happens and then like at the very like last like 50 pages like everything happens <laughs> everything yeah um and i and i've always kind of liked that about dune uh i really like the beginnings of stories 
and I get to wallow in the beginning of Dune for a very long time before anything really happens. And like, I get to hang out with everybody before they're all dead. And, you know, the <laughs> I think that's one of the things that drew me to the story because there's so much of the story where they're happy. Um, you know, does that make sense? Before everything gets really bad, they're mm-hmm. just a family. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they have their, just and kind they of have their whole entourage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you really kind of get to see the the interplay of of personalities and um and how like um responsible parents in this society would be raising their child. And you also, I mean, and that's where like the Harkonnen sort of scenes become very important because they're such a foil to like what's happening like what the training that paul has received and the way anytime he does something right it's like the tiniest scrap of praise and then immediate like criticism you know so he doesn't get like a swelled head or think he's too good or you know you know anything like that and i think the um, the biases of of frank herbert are very apparent when you read dune like he (laughs) you know he's he's obviously grew up a catholic he's obviously kind of like a neo kind of liberal thinker who's who's very interested in ecology and um kind of a hippie type uh but he there's a lot of things like for example right like maybe jessica isn't um his wife isn't Duke Leto's wife, but she's his wife in everything but name, right? And she, and yeah. it almost makes it stronger because she's she's really with him out of love. Like she's a concubine; he bought her, uh, but she she breaks all the rules and has a son, even though she was told not to by her by the Bene Gesserits that technically kind of control her. And so you know that her loyalties are are not really all that suspect, right? She loves her husband, she loves yeah. the duke and she loves her son. And yet when you go to the Harkonnen, he has no wife. He you know, he's raising his war his wards are actually his nephews. His um he has he's well, the the baron is a is a pedophile and mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is it's a it's a thing that I have a really hard time with because he's obviously made him ugly and fat and gay, uh, and he's and he's kind of equated gay and pedophile and pedophilia together uh, in a very Catholic way uh, to mean actually, evil, right? And that, I've always kind of hated that. I, I actually had a different thought on why the Baron was portrayed that way, and part of this is probably related to um the fact that i've had another person in my life who really loves dune and is also like a huge student of classical history like greco-roman history Mm -hmm. like and so a lot like i took that as almost a like because this this whole book this whole society this whole conflict is so to me like overlaid with like like greco-roman sort of ethos and politics and oh, like, yeah. styles so like to me that was also just because that was such a thing among at least um certain like times um in greece where you know the part of the patronage system of like taking you know a young man from a good family and like mentoring him included like a sexual relationship and you know so i i actually didn't perceive it as this you know con- conflation of 
homosexuality and pedophilia. I mean, I'm not saying that that was not there or that that was not Herbert's intention. It very well could have been my perception coming from like my background on knowing that stuff and like seeing that in the story was I I just took it as a reference to that time in Athenian history. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I can also see him emulating that as a way to critique that that kind of classes classical structure mm-hmm. because of uh you know i don't christian yeah because when you look at it rejection, through like a modern yeah. lens it's pretty gross like, oh no, no matter he's how disgusting. they viewed it he's like, like covered in gross. boils he's too fat to move he has to have his own little mini repulsor kit that like carries him around um he's lusting after his nephew so there's some incest going on I mean, he's he's a pathologically terrible person. Uh, and yes. the only thing that he has about him that is supposedly... Uh, he's portrayed as very smart, but he's not, right? He thinks yeah. he's really smart, but he is so easily manipulated by everyone around him. I mean, it's not his idea. The coup is not his idea. It's the emperor's idea. The emperor wants to get rid of the Atreides because he's realized that they are popular and mm-hmm. well-liked and they have money and he thinks that they are a threat to his power. They're not, um, <laughs> at least not as they are, right? They've got one planet and their economy is kind of like, oh, fishing and, and like, you know, maybe we duel each other. You know, it's very, I don't like Spain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but I guess he's thinking the long, the long con and he thinks in a hundred years, this, this house could really be the Carino rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he uses their, their natural rival at that point, the Harkonnens to get rid of him. But the, still, right. the Baron of, thinks it's all his idea. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing with, with the Baron is this, is he's he's kind of a such a rabid dog that, like, nobody around him is willing to actually, like, be honest with him or give him, like, the full truth or an honest answer. They all tell him what he wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And so it, in a way, almost doesn't even matter how clever he is or could be in the right situation because he's made everyone around him like so pathologically afraid of his anger that they won't be honest with him. So, yeah, how so can he you, doesn't how can make you come any to good a decisions. good conclusion yeah. or a good decision if you have inaccurate information. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. I mean, think about it. So they've all kind of decided this is how I'm going to survive in his sphere of influence, right? So you have Mm -hmm. the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, and then he has his two nephews, uh, the Beast Raban and Fade Rautha. And then he has his mentat, Piter de Vries. And Piter de Vries is disgusting as well, but he's kind of like a sadist and he's really kind of in it for the the kind of small rewards that he can get out of the Baron. Uh, and he's kind of a fucked up Mentat, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like a twisted Mentat, I think they call him. And yeah, mentats, uh, mentats are what? Assassin is, and Spymaster is basically the kind of meaning of that? It's a human computer. Oh, okay. It's like a human probability computer. Um, yeah, so let's let's actually talk about the world of Dune. So what's really interesting about Dune is its kind of fear of technology. This is a very feudal system. It's it's a bunch of different houses with a central emperor and all of the wealth kind of flows through those houses straight to the emperor who then controls the universe. And 
at some point in the distant past, it's unclear in the in this book, um, there was uh, a war, and they called it the Butlerian Jihad. And it's basically, it was a war between um, man and computer. And they man had somehow invented a computer that could think. So there's like a throwaway line at some point in Dune where the, somebody says, you know, never trust something if you can't see where it keeps its brain. Uh, hmm. And so yeah, they went straight over my head, by the way. Yeah. So <laughs> that's in the appendices that I didn't read. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's one. Yeah, it probably is because there's like a whole like section on the religion and like the setup. But they, they, that's one of the reasons why the mentats are really important. And one of the reasons why the spice is so important is because mm-hmm. they, they don't have the kind of computer technology. Like they have very basic things, uh, anything that wouldn't require like, but something like our iPhones, they probably wouldn't trust. Like they don't do calculators. Mm-hmm. They don't do computers basically. Yeah. They'll do like, like data algorithms that like Facebook knows whose posts you want to see. And so it puts them at the top. Like that would, exactly. that would not be exactly. Okay. <laughs> they went to war against Facebook. They won. And now they don't allow it to ever happen again. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so the Mentats are kind of like the each house has a Mentat. They're very expensive to procure, and they are people who've gone through like very intense training, who are very logical. They're kind of Vulcan-y. They're like half Vulcan, half computer, half probability machine. Um, but they have other qualities as well. But but I think it's kind of like I think of D and D where it's like Mentat is a class, and then you can have like other other skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what's hilarious? <laughs> Actually, because, like, I know we don't talk about this a lot, especially on the podcast, but, like, I'm such a personality mapping nerd. I was looking at this as through, like, a Myers-Briggs frame, and I was like, the mm. Mentats are, like, the very strong, like, dominant introverted thinking. Like, that's what they are. And then the Benny Gesserits are, like, strong introverted intuition. And I couldn't get that frame out of my head for, like, this entire novel once it entered it, and it was just... A mind fuck. Yeah, I think that that's actually really interesting because there don't appear to be female mentats, and there do not. Uh, that seems to be a gendered uh, thing. You could argue that Irulan has maybe been trained, uh, mm-hmm. but at least in this first book, yeah, mentats are dudes. So yeah, so there's that, and then also the spice is is kind of the chemical that allows the navigators to do some kind of biological change that allows them to see through the probabilities to chart the paths through hyperspace, let's say, right? Like if you think of like Star Wars and how they have to chart a path, but there's too many probabilities, there's too many possibilities because that space is in motion and and the future is in motion and you're not really charting physical path. You're actually folding space by creating like a tiny wormhole. So there's a lot of probability involved in the spice is Mm -hmm. giving you that prescience that allows you to kind of throw the dart. Uh, So that's why all this stuff is really important is because they don't have machines that do it for them. Yeah. So they instead they rely on augmented human minds that, um, you know, can see into the future, but it's not like a set future. It's like I, I actually really loved that conception of like future casting and like looking forward is basically like I like the way I would describe it is like this is the, you know, the current like everything that is currently creates like an emergent because everything that is is a system and there's an emergent from this system and right now the system that we have creates this emergent that is the path but uh-huh. like you change like one thing and it you know changes the system and therefore it changes the emergent and so like it's always kind of like constantly shifting and you you know like paul goes through this too where he like will see this is 
happening but then he'll get into a cloud of uncertainty where it's like suddenly like he can't see anything because the immediate moment is so like in flux like it's a nexus point and it's so in flux that because this whatever event has to fall out has not he can't see the future at all because there's nothing to see it's a question mark so like Mm -hmm. it, it you know it's just like such an interesting sort of like almost like sine wave or like he described it as like riding waves on an ocean but you know you could also look at it as like just a pure like mathematical you know sort of sine or cosine wave um as well mm-hmm. and paul has received training as a mentat as well that's one of the things that he has started he's not very far along but he is receiving mentat training when the book yes. starts uh he doesn't so- know it though which is also yeah. So he he has like the 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 kind of distinction of being dual trained in like both both of the uh you know mind mind fuck capabilities of mm-hmm. this world, which is the sort of Benny Gesserit like long term thinking and making decisions for like ninety years down the road, and the the mentat sort of probability thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the immediate immediate choices. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's there. It's kind of weird. Like you know, for Herbert was obviously trying to create a future that was a little bit recognizable. So he he kind of took a lot of the major religions that we have now and mashed them together. Uh, so you'll have uh, obviously it looks like Islam and Christianity kind of like got smushed together somehow and became its own thing. Um, late in some of the later books judaism comes back and then there's obviously like an atheist kind of uh, nexus point with the mentats and all of their probability so it's it's mm-hmm. an interesting blend to to make to give the reader touchstones to be like oh yeah okay this makes sense the orange catholic bible i don't know what the fuck that means but it's like <laughs> oh it's a bible i know what a bible is um mm-hmm. and there's like you know there's there's like stuff in it that sounds bible but is nonsense <laughs> yeah um, Maybe maybe that's like five more, you know, translations away from the original and we can't understand that one either. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's just like the, the, they still have the same kind of words, but they all mean something different because it's just been Mm -hmm. so many thousands of years that the shift has just kind of gone in a weird place. And if you think of the fact that there's like pre jihad and like post, right. It's like before then, before there's like everything that we're on now and then something cataclysmic happens and we have to like get rid of all of the computers and we go Mm -hmm. back to this like feudalistic, um, kind of hyper-religious, um, structure where we are really obsessed with the potential of not only the human mind but the human body right like the mm-hmm. mentat is the mind whereas the Bene Gesserits are, are the body kind of uh and it, it creates these these wonderful kind of se- they're almost secret religions like everyone knows mm-hmm. the Bene Gesserit exists but it's like how do you become one you can't you have to be born one kind of ooh, uh, ooh. raising raising my hand because yeah. and I don't know I don't know whether this would have been any part of it but like if you look at like I have a, I have a friend who's um a a Wiccan priestess and has like studied a lot uh, to be where she is um which is like terminal degree for like her path and mm-hmm. um the it's called initiatory religions where basically unless you are dedicated and initiated into that religion you cannot know its secrets and so they are passed down like verbally between like initiates of mm-hmm. of the various religions and if i am not mistaken um the like basically the big revival of 
like initiatory Wicca in Western culture, like that specific path of paganism would have been like happening around or like maybe just like within the 10 years prior to this novel being written. So like, it's also possible that he would have known people who were like walking that kind of path and or known about them, if not like known them personally. And like that might have, you know, been at play too. So... Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to see because they are called Benny Gesserit initiates when they are mm-hmm. or, um, or not. Yeah, and then he also uses kind of like nun type words like novice and uh, yeah, like there's the secrets. And yeah, I think that that's really uh, a clever a clever connection. Yeah. So yeah. So, he, so so whether it had to do with like Wicca or not, like the, the the concept of like the initiatory like religion and that it you cannot know its secrets unless you're part of it. Like that's been around for a long time. Right. So. And I think I don't think it's like he's not he's not like trying to create. He's not like a Scientologist, right? He's not creating yeah. real religions. He's creating believable structures. Yes. That feel real to the reader. Yes. It's like it's like the almost like the sociological like viewpoint of like what you know like. He's he's creating enough of a framework that you believe it and you understand like the part it's playing in society, but not actually getting into the like the true tenets of it or like right trying because to that doesn't matter. It. Yeah, 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 exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah, he does the same thing with the Fremen, right? Like they're very tribal. They don't believe like it's about strength and you and winning your your place and not really mm-hmm. about inheriting it. Uh, which is how kind of how Paul gets both of his positions. So um, before we kind of get in, I made I've decided that maybe this this podcast needs a little bit uh, more structure in each episode. So I've kind of come up with a, a couple things that I want to make sure that we do in every episode. But yeah. before we get to those sections, I do want to talk okay. about Paul um, because he is a messiah figure. He is a white messiah figure that goes into um, a group of people who are probably not white. Let's just be mm-hmm. real about that. Um, so he's also a col- you know a colonist, um, and he is a bred superhuman. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so problematic that I'm very mm-hmm. worried about this movie that they're making because, like, especially right now in the in the climate and how and how um, careful uh, audiences are and how they consume media and how they critique the media that they consume. I have this mm-hmm. like fear that that. Denny won't get it right and it's gonna be a fucking mess right because it could be this amazing critique about messiah systems and 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 colonialism and oppression and terrorism and and all of those things it could just be this really great lens to just fuck with everyone that's watching it and I I hope that's what he does or he could just make a white savior story that'll be terrible uh but we'll see but I, I really like the fact that Paul is going, he's a classic, right? He's young. He has, he's trying to prove himself to his father. He has secret parentage. That he doesn't, under, and abilities that he doesn't understand, right? He's your classic hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his mother, so the reason that his mother has been placed, everyone's been ma- manipulated, right? Like the Benny Gesserit play that long, that long con. There are like the witches that like plan everyone's lives and like every family has their own bloodlines and they have these these uh these books that they keep track of it and they're trying to create the Kwisatz Haderach which is that like that one perfect human that one human that can Mm -hmm. do all the things um that they that they think that are are possible and Mm -hmm. they think they're close and one of the one of the the bloodlines that they need are the Atreides so they send Jessica to Leto and they're like have a daughter we want the daughter because we're going to marry the daughter to the Harkonnen line and we think that 
that that child, the child of that union, will be the Kwisatz Haderach. But Jessica loves, she loves her Duke, and she has a son instead because that's what he wants. And she brings about the Kwisatz Haderach too early. So it fucks mm-hmm. up the Bene Gesserit plans, but it's everything that the Fremen need to take back their planet. Uh, and so he has all these crazy abilities. He has all the abilities that a Bene Gesserit can have. And part of that is because he was trained, but part of that is because he inherited this kind of special bloodline. And mm-hmm. he can see all the futures, not just one future, right? Not like when you take spice and you see that one, that one path through, through space, he can see all the futures and choose between them. And that's power. And the mm-hmm. Bene Gesserit wanted that power for themselves, and he doesn't work for them because he's he's his own his own master. So it's 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 a very kind of classic familiar structure. If you you know read, I think it's very fantasy like, not so much sci fi, even though this is considered mm-hmm. a science fiction novel. What do you think about Paul? Does he deserve all of these abilities? Is he a good? Is he Superman? Is he Clark Kent? What is he? Um, God, like my, so my feelings on Paul are so mixed, um, because for one thing, like, I almost want to say, like, there is no other child that was raised the way that he was raised. Like he had, you know, a, a Bene Gesserit mother, but she was also like, in some ways, not completely sold on the Bene Gesserit Kool-Aid. Like, she was her own woman. She made her own choices. And so she gave him all of the training that she could. You know, she basically raised him to be a weapon and yet also to think for himself because she herself thought for herself and made decisions for herself as opposed to, like, sublimating her own, like, desires and her own moral compass and her own you know, sense of ethics to the Bene Gesserit cause. And, mm-hmm. you know, so like the, between that and like the, the way he was indoctrinated into like the basically war tactics and political tactics and like all of this, like in a way he didn't have a choice except to, you know, think on a level beyond what a normal ordinary 15 year old would have thought on. And so, like, how much of it was actually natural ability versus, like, nurture and the fact that he was nurtured very specifically, you know, to almost to be a superhuman just in in what he was taught and how focused his entire, like, life, how focused every adult around him was on making him into the ultimate weapon. A Mentat Duke, how awesome would that be? A Mentat Duke who has Benny Gesserit training. Like, nobody's going to be able yes. to fuck with your mind. In fact, you'll be able to fuck with their minds. Like, you, right. you know. So, like, in a way, like, him How much like, of Paul having, is Paul and how much of him is the Is the, the creature of... that he was created to be. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and so, like, when he actually is, like, like, the part that I, like, the part of Paul that I admire the most is the part who sees, like, all of these futures and says, that's fucked up and I don't see a way out of it, but I want to change it if I can because I don't want that. That's not right. That's not okay. And he's, you know, actually in his mind, like, wants to change, like, what what has almost appears to be an inevitable future where he's, like, looking at all of the possible futures and in all of them, like, exists this jihad, you know, crossing 
the planet of dune crossing the universe under the atreides banner and he's like that's not that's not okay i have to stop this so you know he has like a, a an admirable sense of like ethics in like his own mind and um i don't know like it like it's hard for, uh, god but the the whole idea of like bloodlines was so that was hard for me it's especially hard, as right? an adult and like, an american like, <laughs> and an american yeah like it as a kid, I think I probably, like, could have swallowed that a little easier. Because, you know, like, the whole, like, oh, you're, you know, you're special. You were, like, born with a special destiny. Like, that's kind of, like, that goes in a lot of, like, fantasy modes. Oh, yeah. Because every little and it, kid wants to think that they themselves has a special, have a special it, destiny. Exactly. We all want to be Harry Potter. Like, none of us want to fucking be Neville Longbottom. You know, we all want to yeah. be Harry Potter. And so, like, I think... That wouldn't have bothered me so much to think, oh, I have a special bloodline. I have a special this or, you know, special destiny. But, like, now as an adult, I read that and I'm just like, no. Like, some eugenics I, bullshit. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't I don't believe in that. Like, I believe so much in, I don't know, just like the, 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 the way that you can make, like, you can take control of your life and you can make yourself, like, something other than what you were trained to be. Like, it's not easy. You have to, like, reach some level of awareness. Maybe you need somebody to, like, inspire that in you. You know, like, none of us does this alone. But, like, you don't have to be a slave to your your upbringing. You don't have to be a slave to, like, what you were raised by other people to be. You can exactly. reject that. You can choose your own course. And that means that there is no such thing as, like, this genetic inheritance. There is no such thing as a bloodline destiny there is you know you might have talents or proclivities that make certain paths easier for you than other paths and those paths might be easier than they are for other people and they might be the things that our culture values you know whereas the paths that are easy for other people might not be valued in our culture but like <laughs> oh my god that's think, such an no, issue so, with the, like the whole thing <laughs> so i no, i'm really glad that you mentioned this because like i said i've 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 been reading this book for more than half my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the things I love about Dune and one, and, and, you know, you can do this with any book that you love that, you know, you, you go back and you read it and if it can grow with you, then that's a good story. Yes. And one of the great things about Dune is that you're right. When I read this, when I was 15, it was like, yeah, he's special. Paul, Paul's the special one. And the older I got and the more my view, my horizons broadened, the more I realized that I think that I really do believe that what Frank was trying to do was completely take apart that whole narrative. And mm -hmm. I think that when people read the story and they take it away and they, and they come out the other end with, Paul is the hero they didn't mm -hmm. read it correctly <laughs> I just I really truly believe that and especially if you read the next two novels which I have many mm -hmm. friends who are, have argued with me about this <laughs> that you know those two books so there are six main books that Frank wrote um, before he died there were going to be more but he got six out uh, it's two, it's kind of the first trilogy are about Paul and his immediate family uh, and kind of like a 30 year period. And then after that, they just start jumping ahead to, to other characters down down the bloodline. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there's other books that Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson have written to kind of about other other members of the family. The past, some of them are prequels. Some of them keep going based on Frank's notes. 
I don't care about that so much. What I care about and mm-hmm. what I try to get people to read are Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. And this is why. Mm-hmm. I think as a com- as companions books, and I know there's two of them, but they, you kind of have to read them. They're kind of like half and half. It's like one book. Um, mm-hmm. If you read them along with Dune, what you realize is that Dune is – at the end of Dune, Dune isn't, isn't done. It's far from over, as they say. And yeah. it's about – the tinker toy, the house of cards that the Atreides build by taking advantage of all of these systems that they have the privilege uh, and ability to manipulate mm-hmm. and how they're fucking evil for doing it and how mm-hmm. much it fucks up everyone else in the universe. If you read mm-hmm. Dune Messiah and Children of Dune, it is about the fall of House Atreides. It is about uh-huh. how terrible they are and Paul feels such guilt when he sees what he has wrought. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's fucking tragic and beautiful and I love it. And that is why I always say well, people should read the other two books. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they're a lot shorter and you get more of the badass Alia Atreides who I love. But I just, <laughs> I, I love Paul. I would totally hang out with Paul. I think I'd punch him in the face a few times, but uh, well, I don't think he's a hero at all. Well, I was I was gonna say like it, like which which Paul like at what point in the narrative are we hanging out with Paul? Because I felt like he had a moment where he drank his own Kool Aid mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. Like, because he, like, one of the things that was most admirable about him through most of the story was his awareness of, like, the fact that this was a fucking sham, that Benny Je- some Benny Jesuit 300 years in the past, you know, playing that 90 generations game, yep. had, like, gone to this fucking planet and, and planted the seeds. Yep. Yeah, of a of and a that's prophecy. only there just in case some shit goes down and they and a Benny Jesuit gets stranded there and yeah. then can play on this prophecy to like basically you know like secure herself out of getting killed. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's you like, know, like a, it's Paul, like a Benny Jesuit ATM of power. You're like, oh, I'm it, stuck here. Yeah. I need some power. Oh, I know this. I know this game. I can play this game, and I know yeah. all the code words. Yeah, and and so like when they're like when Paul is like very conscious of the fact that he's like manipulating this, like you kind of you understand why he's doing it, and you also you you see his caution with it and the fact that he like he doesn't he's being equivocal. He doesn't want to say like he doesn't want to immediately like come in and declare himself the Messiah because he doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want that role. He doesn't want to be that person. But then at some point he like you know he gets like this ego construct or something and is like maybe i am the Cuisette chatterack and i'm going to like you know do this thing and like prove prove the legends right and like that's where i stop liking him as a character <laughs> yeah well that's when it starts getting messy right because you start you you know up until that point you're like okay i know that the missionary protectiva isn't real i'm Mm -hmm. not a benny jesuit i'm not an orange catholic this is not my religion i'm not whatever the fremen are like i don't so i see all the strings and i know who's manipulating so i know that jessica's just trying to survive and she's just trying to get enough power so that they can get back to where they think that they belong but then you start getting it starts getting messy and it's like well was all of this ordained was all of this predestined is this really is this real is this how it works is is god a person is this is this paul manipulating the past from the future is that what the quizot's hatterack is like what is going on it's like a brand 
Stark in the tree Hodor kind of thing. And, yeah. And, you know, that that's why I'm like, you got to read the other books because the fallout is that, you know, Paul kind of breaks and does his best to bring to bring the Atreides down and then mm-hmm. the rest of the family is trying to keep their power and they've created a religion and Alia's the head of it. And then Alia kind of breaks when she realizes what exactly she's inherited, when she realizes that she's a, you know, a Harkonnen grandchild and, mm-hmm. and like what, what that means and what she's wrought and how the Atreides haven't really done what they, what they should. And if, if, if they have this peak power and all these abilities and that's as far as humanity can go, then what do they owe humanity? And they mm-hmm. kind of realize all of that is bullshit. And then, of course, there's Leto, too, and all of his god emperor shit. So, and that's kind of <laughs> later on. But those kind of three books, I think, are fairly beautiful and, and, and are a nice little kind of enclosed circle if you don't read anything else. So that's my recommendation. But you did mention Jessica, and she is the one that put us on this path from the beginning. Um, oh. I don't want to leave out Chani. Uh, so okay, um, pause before we change before we change sure. subjects, just because I simply wanted to say, from like a narrative perspective, from from the perspective of me of myself, like having been an English major, having like written books myself, like to me there was zero question that dune is meant as the first book in an ongoing story like like i've I've actually Mm -hmm. had people recommend to me like only read the first one like the others aren't very good or like they undercut it or whatever like i i read this very much as this is the inciting incident for the story to come like that was my perception of this from a narrative perspective so like uh, I like mean, you didn't... can absolutely read it as a one-off, but I yeah, think I mean, that it, you it could. Lose... It comes to like a, a sort of safe harbor stopping point, but it did not in any way feel like a complete story to me. Right, because it's a saga, right? It's obviously yeah. a saga, and yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I think it's like a really great adventure story if you just want to rip it down to its like. If you're going to be that guy, right? And it's usually a guy (laughs) on the internet who's yelling at me. I have tattoos of this book. I am like a mega nerd about Dune. And I have been (laughs) screamed at by so many dudes about what this book is supposed to mean. Um, But I I think that they're doing themselves a disservice when they read it and think this is an adventure story about a Mm -hmm. kid who who takes vengeance for the murder of his father and takes his house back and gains even more power because he's special. Uh, I don't think that that's it. I don't think that that's everything that Dune has to offer. Uh, Yeah. One of the, so one, and one of the things that I, or three of the things that I think are really amazing about Dune is that it was a sci-fi book written by a man in the sixties about a guy. There's a lot of guys and there's a lot of, um, He's, you know, he's a male Benny Gesserit, and that's what makes him special. There's a lot of gender stuff that happens in Dune, and mm-hmm. a lot of that is just because it's an old-ass book. Um, yeah. But I also think that... So much misogyny. Yes, yeah, so much misogyny. <laughs> and if you can, like, get through of that, right, I, I think that the women of Dune have always been why I always keep coming back. Because you're right, Paul's the main character, whatever, but he is not... He is not the guy that brings me back to this story. It's about Jessica and Chani and mm-hmm. Irulan to me and all of these women and in the later books, Alia and Ganema, like they, 
I mean, Jessica especially, I think, is one of the most interesting women in literature because mm-hmm. you think you've got her pegged as this woman who just does things to please her man. But then you realize, oh, well, is she is that what she's doing or is she rebelling against all of the gendered expectations that have put on her been put on her from the very beginning and then watching her kind of shrug that off and gain more and more power um within her sphere of influence what is it mm-hmm. like to get what you want right like you had mm-hmm. the Cuisats Hatterack was that did that work out for you is that how it was supposed to go um mm-hmm. you know it didn't bring your husband back from the dead it didn't it, it, it made you kind of lose your son uh mm-hmm. and that kind of pain I, I just think she's so interesting as the as the unrelenting strength and backbone of House Atreides even though she isn't one at all yeah uh, I just love her. Yeah, from 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 the perspective of like looking at like I I was actually taken aback at, and I don't know why I would be given when the book was written and like the societies it's it is based on it is unequivocally based on, but like just the the casualness of the exclusions of women from like certain mm-hmm. behaviors and certain ceremonies and certain rites and certain like everything and yet you have at the same time you have jessica who is 100 percent in the confidence of duke leto she or she is like his rock she is the mm-hmm. person that like he trusts like above everybody like literally everybody in his employ even people he's had for 20 years even people that he like pulled from you know like slave pits and he has their absolute loyalty he will distrust them in a way that he does not distrust her and you know so at the same time like it it's this very powerful um and and again this goes back to like the the more the roman than, than i think the greek but like the the roman idea of you know a woman that actually is the equal to a man or maybe the superior who has like the the political savvy who has the knowledge who will you know maybe maybe it's not overt maybe she's whispering in her husband's ear but she's the one that he comes to to like consult with about decisions i mean the the couple that i i think of because it's the one i'm most familiar with is um caesar augustus and livia mm-hmm. um and the fact that like she was his main advisor and he did not make a a decision without like consulting her and so like there's this precedent for like women to be almost this like like hidden power behind a throne or like you know this um you sort of intimate um like lifeblood of politics that is never overtly said it's never directly like referenced or remembered or like honored but yet yeah. is there, you know? And so, like, it, it, like, Dune kind of pulls that out, like, explicitly because it makes Jessica one of the named characters, one of the important characters. Like, this is her story as much as it is Paul's. Right, yeah. She's the driver of all the action. I think Jessica, more than any other character, drives every major plot point, every decision, every direction, mm-hmm. every step, every major chapter of the story is because of something that Jessica decides to do. And as she grows, I mean, you're right. You're very right. She starts off as kind of more of a shadow character and then when she becomes a reverend mother of the fremen she takes more and more power in fact stilgar is even like oh we should get married and consolidate and she's like fuck off dude 
hey guy, <laughs> I got my own power. I don't need you. And, and yeah, so let me, like, let she me continues examine to grow. my options, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she continues to grow in that way. Uh, and then she becomes the mother of God, basically, right? And I think that mm-hmm. that isolation of kind of like thinking of her in that way is also really tragic because she starts off as a woman who just wants to be in a family and be loved mm-hmm. and to and to create this perfect family. And what she ends up with is nothing. She has a yeah. lot, a lot of power, but she has no no real i mean she has alia but alia is just as much a part uh, is different from her and resents her for what she did with the water of life so she's Mm -hmm. she ends up more alone at the end uh through her choices uh chani i love because she's also kind of she's like you know a little manic pixie dream girl like he literally dreams of her uh, and she (laughs) and she'll knife a bitch you know if she has to like i love the when people come to to challenge paul when he's like meditating and she's like i killed him it was he was not worthy of you and he's like what but i i get to kill and she's like no 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 he was a he was a little worm i killed him (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was awesome yeah, and Chani is also his gateway to the Fremen culture. She's the one that teaches him how to be a Fremen, so she controls his personality in that way. And then mm-hmm. Irulan is his gate to, um, you know, he's, she's the emperor's daughter. So she and she chooses right. Like there's a lot, there's a lot going on with Irulan that mm-hmm. I, which is I think why so many adaptations put her front and center and expand her character because she is so fascinating because. Yeah. She's a Bene Gesserit. She has all of this power, and yet she has none because she's a daughter. And she really um, is pitting her father against the Harkonnens and against Paul. And she realizes, like, I the only way to make this work is if I if I choose. So she chooses uh, to marry Paul at the end and give him the power that he's craving through her. Right? He can't have it without her. Mm-hmm. And so her cooperation is very needed. So, yeah, I mean, a lot, you know, there's a lot of aggressive stuff. Like, all these women are only what they are to Paul sometimes. But if you go deeper than that, they are mm-hmm. the fulcrums, the wheels that, that Dune moves on. Yeah. Yeah. And, in yeah, I mean, like I said, just looking at it from a historical, sociological perspective, like, you can make the, the argument that that's, like, how society mm-hmm. keeps rolling because yeah. i mean in in some ways it's always been like yes the women are the ones that were left behind we don't go to war we don't you know go do the killing but we're also the ones that teach the next generation and we're the ones that like preserve the culture and keep it like moving forward and kind of make make we make the choices for the next generation for five generations down the road as opposed mm-hmm. to the immediate necessity. Oh, to- totally, totally. Uh, so I want to keep us on track. I can talk about this for a long time. but <laughs> um, <laughs> So we've talked about the Atreides. Uh, we've talked about the Harkonnen. We've talked about the Carinos. That's the emperor and his uh, and his daughter, Irulan. Uh, the Count Fenring, who's one of... I have this thing for eunuchs. Um, I love eunuch characters for... <laughs> I just... I, it's not that I love eunuchs. I just realized that there's a lot of really cool characters in a lot of these books that um, can, tend to be, like, crafty political uh, maneuverers. Uh, like, think mm-hmm. of uh, um, Varys from, you know, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah. And they all tend up to be eunuchs. So I love I love Fenring and his his Benny Desert wife. Uh, and yes. then there's the Fremen. Uh, one of those Fremens is Liet Keens, who is the Fremen son of the planet uh, planet 
planetologist, planetologist, I think. Uh, but he's he's inherited that title. Uh, but he's obviously working. So like the one of the things that's great about the Fremen is you think that they're just kind of unoppressed um, people kind of eking it out in the desert who kind of have their mm-hmm. very tribal culture and a very insular religion and they're kind of violent as many you know many um othered groups can be in these kinds of stories uh what you find out is what they're really trying to do is they're just trying to like change the planet so that there's some water on it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and that's kind of what all of their fervent religious kind of energy is put into is this dream of liette's that they can mm-hmm. craft this planet over many generations with hard work uh, and influence mm-hmm. it to be green, to have water. Um, and so kind of it's really funny that Liette uh, – and Liette is Johnny's father, by the way. Uh, but Liette, you know, he has this dream and Paul realizes the dream eventually – um, well, the Atreides realized the dream eventually, but what you what what, he, what Paul realizes and is kind of like the big reveal uh, of the story is that you know the spice, which is what runs the universe, is the most precious substance in the universe, and it's the only way that interstellar travel happens, and it's the only way that everything won't collapse um, is created by the worms, uh, mm-hmm. and it's you can't have it without them because it's a byproduct of their of their um, their breeding mm-hmm. and. If you fuck up Dune, you fuck up the worms and everything's connected. And that's the ecological message of Dune. And I think one of the reasons that it's still a prominent story and we're dealing with, you know, climate change now is that, you know, you think you have this idea for what a better world would look like and what you need. Mm -hmm. But everything's connected, man. And yeah. you have to be really aware of how everything is connected and how the the environment is influenced by the th- the living things that live in the environment and vice versa. Yes. And I don't know. I just, I love the worms. I love, I love Shai Hulud. I always say, <laughs> it's a joke, but I'm always like, it's always better if there's a sandworm in it. <laughs> there are no better, there are no bigger, badder sandworms than the sandworms in Dune. But yeah, how did you so. feel about that? Would you take that drug? There's a lot of um, weird shit that has to happen for the, for you to. <laughs> okay, so um, like the thing about the drug, aside from the fact that like it's addictive and like once you start taking it, you can't ever stop. Like, I, I don't. I feel this way about hallucin- hallucinogenics in general. Like the way my brain works, I don't need them. Like I can fucking disconnect from reality like i've had facebook posts about (laughs) about, like i took a walk today and like i realized that i was standing on an ocean floor and the trees around me were anemones and like the hawk in the sky is a ship on the surface so far above me and like i'll just like i don't fucking need hallucinogenics and i don't i don't need the spice to look into the future like i can future project pretty fucking well and something i don't see coming like so you're a mentat <laughs> like fuck well something i don't see coming fucks paul up the same as it fucks me up so like like he can't actually see the future he sees probabilities he sees possibilities and like may he does like the spice does i guess grant him some like knowledge that he couldn't actually have from the perspective that he owned but right. i don't know it's kind of like in a way it was also sort of like oh frank herbert literally just described my brain 
Like, thanks. Thanks. Actually, this is a yeah. really great analogy. Like, Paul tripping on the spice. Like, that's what I live in. That's my everyday reality. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's hard to say whether I would actually take the spice or not. Because it does actually... Like, uh, when you're reading it, objectively speaking, it does give him knowledge that he could not have from the place he's standing, you know? And so mm-hmm. in that in that sense, it's objective. It, it, it presents objective truth. But at the same time, um, it, How it possible kind of, is that objectivity? It, it, it makes him, like, dependent upon it. It makes him, yeah. because there are times when he's almost, like, afraid to act because he's too busy trying to look at, like, the future you know, that he forgets the the reality at hand. He forgets to be alive. And um, yeah, I, mean, I think some... he says like, I think to go back to the wave analogy, it's like he can see it, you think about it like waves or like hills. It's like he can see to the top of the next hill. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, that's that top of that hill right there. The tip of that wave right there is that's where I want to go. But he can't mm-hmm. see the valley, the dip in between. And so he doesn't yeah. know the sacrifices. He doesn't know mm-hmm. what has to happen to get from point A to point B if that's where he's going. And yeah. sometimes those the price of that or the, the probability or the actions that need to happen to get there are not ones that he's willing to pay. And yeah. Um, he, I think what's really great is, you know, he talks about the golden path, the golden path. Um, what the fuck does that mean? Like, is it his golden path? Is it humanity's golden path? Is it for the mm-hmm. Atreides? Is it for Arrakis? Like what the, and, 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 and who the hell does he think he is that he thinks that he's qualified or equipped to make any of those decisions just because he's the yeah. only one that can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a difference between to go back to like a more modern idea. It's like to, it's a difference between young Luke Skywalker and old grouchy Luke Skywalker. Like you, mm-hmm. young Luke Skywalker is like I can save us. I can mm-hmm. turn Darth Vader. I like I can do it. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. It's that idealism of youth. And then you mm-hmm. go to like old Luke Skywalker, who's like you know retreated from everything. Who's not. Mm-hmm. Who's just like fuck off. I don't care. Get away from me. Throw your lightsaber on the ground like that guy (laughs) that guy who refuses to like engage because he's so disillusioned like that that's kind of like where paul ends up well you know what's funny that you bring up that you bring star wars into this because to me the analogy in my head that i was drawing because like paul in his you know when he first starts like taking kind of a command role in the fremen society like what it made me think of was the I guess the planet Naboo, uh, where they're they're basically like we we basically have the the queen of the planet from like twelve to fifteen because they mm-hmm. have a clarity of sight that like no other age bracket has or maybe it's like fifteen to eighteen you know I don't I'm fuzzy yeah, on the details young. but it's basically yeah but yeah but it's basically like being young and having that like kind of almost like brash you know confidence of youth that like i know everything that's worth knowing and i can make a valid decision about this and then like the older you get the more nuance you add the more layers you know come into your perspective and the more you realize i'm not qualified to make this choice i'm barely qualified to make this choice for my goddamn self much less the universe (laughs) you know my entire culture much less like every culture known to man at this point in time Mm -hmm. and you know so it's like this um 
like the older you get, you have this like diminishment of like ego and this diminishment of self. And I was like, yeah, there's a reason that Paul's like, you know, 17 and this hotshot badass warlord is because if he was like significantly fucking older than this, he wouldn't be capable of making this kind of choice. Like he would see no, and he too breaks. Much. Yeah, he's seen, like, he's seen <laughs> to too actually much. absolutely to, to be able to choose. No, and I love that. Like, I think anyone who's watched movies with me <laughs> knows I, I play this game where I'm always like, it's all, it's Dune. Everything is Dune. Uh, I, so yeah, Star Wars is Dune. I mean, there's a lot of parallels and like George Lucas has talked about it, but like, you know, there's a lot in Star Wars that, that was influenced by Dune. It's not one-to-one, but there mm-hmm. is a story of uh, kind of a, a messiah, prophesied messiah figure who kind of fails <laughs> and and his and and kind of ruins everything and then his twin children um are the are are his redemption mm-hmm. but in that redemption they you know they sacrifice a lot uh and that happens in dune if you read the first three books uh i it happens in the matrix which is another mm-hmm. thing that a lot of people have seen uh he literally walks a golden path in the third movie not that that movie is good but uh it happens in the matrix uh there's a lot of movies where i'm always like that's dune that's also Dune. That's Dune. Uh, it's just like a fun. It's a you know. It's it's fun to see its influence keep going and to, so that it stays relevant. Uh, um. So yeah, uh, the Fremen are kind of an interesting, an interesting um, problematic. I'm very nervous about. I think I, I think one of the things that I well, a couple of the things that I, I would love to see in this movie version that's coming because I know like. What I I want I want it because I want the art direction right like I want to mm-hmm. see costumes I want to see these crazy sets because it's all this like insane kind of like like super sci-fi baroque like just like you just keep going like post baroque like everything's mm-hmm. just so rich uh, and like but without technology so it's like you just think of like lots of fabrics lots of textures um, lots of architectural detail I want to see that kind of stuff but I'm so mm-hmm. nervous that it's not it's not going to be a nuanced portrayal a, a, a story that is because I'm not like and if you listen to the Game of Thrones podcast, I'm not 100% like into like this one-to-one adaptation thing. I think that's yeah. stupid. If you're going to make it in a different media, then make it in a different media. Make it make it relevant to that media. And yeah. what I would love to see is a Dune story that is updated to be not only relevant for a film, but relevant for today's audiences. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think that it's there. And I think that it's ready. And I think that it wouldn't take a lot of work. Uh, it just yeah. depends on how brave the director and the writers are going to be. Yeah. Uh, well... I mean, this uh, this is something that I, I know. I know we didn't have like a lot of back and forth in our notes, but I warned you I was going to bring up, and this seems a good place to me uh, to bring up. Uh, if 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 you have ever watched the uh, documentary Hodorowsky's Dune, it is yeah. um, about quote the best film never made, um, and that was like. It was. It's basically a documentary about this film that was conceived um, by a, a director. Um, I want to say in like the early seventies, and he actually hadn't read the book, but he, you know, was pitched it, and he thought like he was just taken by the idea, by the world, by the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And it goes through like. Um, Actually, I guess it would have been in the sixties because if it had been made, it would have come out before two thousand and one, and it would have. I mean, speaking of like 
being an influence in a revolution, it would have changed the face of science fiction as we know it because it would have been the first major science fiction film and it would have been in this fucking psychedelic, like, mind fuck of a, like, color palette mode instead of that super sterile, everything is gray, everything is white 2001 mode. Mm-hmm. In, his, in, in Hodorowsky's vision, it was like the ships have personalities. Like, he's, he envisioned them as, like, fish under the sea. And so they have, like, all these crazy colors and all these, like, you know, they would be blending in with nebula and with, like, planets and, like, like there's color. And, like, the costumes, like, it literally, Rachel, it is one of my fucking dreams, regardless of how I feel about this book, it is one of my dreams to do a cosplay on Honorowski's Dune because those costumes are fucking Dune has manic. inspired so much amazing crazy. art. I mean, yeah, I, like, the... the I think yeah, he got like Mobius to do. He some had fucking stuff. Geiger yeah. designing the Harkonnen headquarters. He had goddamn Salvador Dali like yeah. willing to be quote the most expensive like actor paid per minute. He's like, that's the way we do it. Like we need twenty <laughs> seconds of him, so we tell him, "Well, you'll be the most highly paid per minute because that's what our budget could afford." But he yeah. won't know the difference. <laughs> yeah no i mean yeah i I mean in that kind of gorgeous like development of concept art and like realization i i want that's like why i'm in this like that's why i'm excited especially because like this guy did arrival he knows how to do real sci-fi um i wasn't i have my own issues with arrival especially um the what he with the what he did with the 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 female role uh mm-hmm. which makes me a little bit also worried about dune because again i think that the women are really important and i don't think that a woman's capacity for pain is her own is her strongest uh <laughs> uh influence in a story but that's just whatever uh but you know like you know blade runner was amazing and i think that it can be really fun i just i also think that and he you know he's a white french guy i don't know if he's got the nuance for this uh you know from my american mm-hmm. perspective but he if 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 he could refocus it on the women in the story, if mm-hmm. he could make make the Atreides not white for God's sake, <laughs> um, you know, like easy things that can that can just like help drive the story into a more yeah. more credibility for modern audiences. I think it doesn't change the story; it just reframes it so that yeah. we as an audience can pick up on these themes that we've been talking about. I would almost say that like. Take like making it explicitly not a white savior story, like yeah. allows us to as an audience to like disengage from that baggage and then yeah. like just look at what this story has to say. Like I, I will add, like I, I saw some like this one little snippet that he said. Somebody actually asked him about like Hodorowski's Dune. Is that what you're trying to do? And he I have my own vision. Okay. Awesome. I love that he has his own vision, that he is, Mm -hmm. like, that confident on it, that he's like, I don't need somebody else's vision. I've got my fucking own. So, like, I'm I'm kind of with you that I'm, like, I'm hopeful. We'll see what we'll see what it does. But it could be, like, it could be very interesting. I don't know. Like, my this, this is a text. Like, this is the English major in me speaking. Like, this is a text that has. It has so much that's there. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no, it does. so much that you can like look at and feed on and like play on and pull out. Like it's it is very rich textually speaking, and like there's so much history that went into this. Like, um, I don't know. Like I I am lucky enough to have visited Turkey and have gotten to. Um, go into like the Cappadocia mountain region where mm-hmm. um, some of the 
um, I, for, I forget the specific like sect of Christianity that got driven back, but like they lived in caves. And I think that I actually think that that's what he was drawing on um, as an example um, for how the Fremen live is that they like there are cave cities that are still being like excavated and like explored, you know, from like the years a thousand to fourteen hundred. Mm-hmm. They're not that actually that old. You know, they're not ancient by any means. Um, but where the there were tens of thousands of people living in these cave cities and, you know, they were five levels deep. Like I, I, I've been to Turkey. I got to go into one of them and they don't allow like visitors past the third level because it's there's too much of a liability. Um, but it, like, I feel like that's what he was drawing oh, on for the, the Fremen. Yeah, and, I think, absolutely. you know, it was just like it was. I don't know, it was so fascinating to me to, like, have, have I guess, a, a bit of a physical memory of, like, what it's like to be inside those caves and to have that sense of, like, time dislocation. You don't know, like, what time it is outside. It, in a way, it's not relevant. If you're, like, that deep under rock, if you're that hold up from, like, anybody that might be coming after you, they don't know where you are. They can't tell, like which cliff face that you're in, you know, because your whole fucking culture is hidden. I don't know. So you like, you were there where Jameis and Paul fought. You've been. Yes. Like exactly. And I'm kind of like retrospectively sad that I hadn't read this book beforehand. You know, that I didn't read this book six years ago. Wait, it was 2013 that we went. So like what, how, how long ago was that? Would six years have been enough? Does it need to be 10 years? Whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like no, I'm Paul. I, I don't I remember what I don't what remember what I am so well. It's like okay, the story is its is its own thing, but the setting he he did something really magical. Like you know, like not like not just in the sieges, but the sieges are wonderful. Like the smells, mm-hmm. uh, which yes. aren't necessarily pleasant. Uh, you know, like the the closeness, the darkness, the the mm-hmm. quiet, the you know, like how how drops of water become precious uh reading this book will make you look at water differently while you're reading it right like you value it you are aware of it you like slosh it around in your mouth you're like this is this is i get it you know and yeah uh like but like not just not just the sieges but the cities like arakeen um even in if you go back to the beginning and like read the descriptions of Caladan and it's just uh and and Seleucus Secundus and all of that stuff it's just it's a very um rich world of places mm-hmm. that not only not only does he describe the people that live in them but he describes the rocks that they're standing on the flora the fauna the sky the the way that the moon looks when you look at it mm-hmm. um the world building is incredible it's why i recommended this book as a response to the matthew swift books because like dune you know dune arrakis desert planet it is it's a place it's yes. real i know yeah. i know what dune is like i have been there and uh it's magical and i think that i think even if you are not into the story if it's too idiosyncratic too old too hippie too stuck (laughs) on gendered by binary thinking uh there's a lot of binary thinking in dune um i i didn't enter this as a section but i once did a whole write-up on boomtron about dune and i did a whole section on the binary thinking and like what that means and how it frames the book um and how that's not necessarily uh, good, and it's obviously not very modern. But the <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's just like it it's still a masterclass in how to create a world full of religions and people yes. and places and thopters and sand and grit and giant worms and yes. it it's just magical and i love i will always forever love this book for giving me arrakis i will yeah um I do, before we end, I do want to ask some of these uh, standard questions that hopefully we can work into all of all of our episodes from now on. So, yes, we did a little bit of talking about the genre and the style and authorial voice and why we like this. So we can, I'm going to skip all of that. So here we're going to go to uh, uh, character questions. Okay. Of all of the, of all the people, and you can ask me uh, if you need to remember people's names, um, who would you want to hang out with in a post-apocalyptic wasteland? Because I know that survival in a post-apocalyptic wasteland is very important to you. Uh, so which one? House, name, who? Oh, man. Are they, or, and, and, um, and, 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 and contrary to that, who is the most useless human? <laughs> okay. Um, well, in, in terms of... Uh, in terms of post post apocalyptic, honestly, I'm God. I, I kind of have two answers. I'm gonna gonna hedge my bets here. One, Jessica, that bitch is a survivor. Like she knows <laughs> how to survive. Um, but also like name a Fremen, any Fremen, because like they know how to survive in what literally is like a post apocalyptic environment. So yeah, if you have a still suit, could you? Would you? You want the still suit, right? Like that's coming, yeah. Oh yeah, that's coming like with, the, that's going in the go bag. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 down with the still suit. Uh life has not expended all of its mysteries to me. I can drink the brackish water. I can hold the water in my body like there might be like a minute's worth of squeamishness, but honestly, like I'm way too practical to demur. I'm a fucking country girl. Like I'm practical. You know, that's the reality I'm living in. Okay. I mean, it's filtered. It. It's not like you're drinking pee. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. It's like being an astronaut. Exactly. Like, I can frame it in so many ways that, like, make it acceptable. But honestly, the number one, like, important frame is this is the reality I live in. I can die or I can live this way. I'm not ready to die. So fuck it. Let's live. We talked about Paul's protagonist skill sets. Uh, seems to be what? You think, like, charisma level 10 and actual skill like actual useful skill <laughs> like i don't if he didn't have all those people taking care of him i don't know how well he would have done <laughs> yeah like I, I will say he had he had valuable training in that he had like military tactical knowledge the fremen didn't have and so in some ways he was prepared well but he also like he needed a handler he needed people who could deal with the fact that he passed out on the floor of a cave for three weeks and wasn't dead <laughs> So, and wasn't dead, right? Like, yeah, he might have had like ideas about how to use the worms to attack the shield wall, <laughs> but dude had, but Stilgar still had to teach him how to get on the worm, right? Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is still one, is will always be one of my favorite scenes in literature is when he when Paul calls the worm uh, on his own. Yeah, what's that Moby Dick reference? Old man yep. of the sea. Old man <laughs> of the sea. All right, so um, as a shout-out to Eli, who, before we started recording this, told me to make sure I included all the shady characters. So yeah. we're going to do a section on Murder, Mary, Fuck. Uh, so, um, you know, the subtitle, Bad Boyfriends, Emo Hair, and more. <laughs> who's your murder? Who's, who's your Mary? And who's your fuck? Fuck them and leave them. Because this is a <laughs> fucking book. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay, Mary's easiest, uh, Gurney Halleck. 
because uh, ah. he's gonna enter- he's gonna entertain me and like the amount of like literature that he knows in conjunction with his military prowess, he, like he'll survive you, like, and entertain me fish. the whole the whole time. <laughs> like he's got something for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. All the songs about all the fish. Um, uh, mm, I don't know. I'm. Hmm. I'm I'm not I'm not so good with the with the with the casual fucks, uh, especially because there weren't oh, really a lot of <laughs> options on this one. So like, oh, I got no, I got one. Okay, I'll I'll um murder hmm, any of the Harkonnens. I don't know. They were all pretty terrible. <laughs> they were worth murdering in their beds. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. For me, the murder is Piter Devries. Um, it was actually kind of like a toss up between uh Piter and Yui because, mm-hmm. like, I know Dr. Yui is just kind of like a really sad guy who got manipulated because his wife was being like tortured and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. like, he fucking sucks. He could have just you see something, you say something, Yui, and he yeah. didn't. Uh, um, pause, but, pause because yeah. I thought of a fuck. Uh, oh, okay, Dr. Dr. Kynes, because he's like oh, that crazy yeah. mad scientist that like you want to hear enough of his ideas and like you know postcoital he's gonna like go off and then you're like all right that's enough we're done here and so that's like good, you get yeah. like the the seed of like those ideas and you can like go your own reference with them but God fucking forbid you have to listen to him for a lifetime there we go done <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah I know that's that's legit I I enjoy that so yeah so um my murder just I was gonna do Yui but I decided Piter because he's fucking scary um my my Mary is Chani because she's just mm. loyal she will make sure nobody bothers you she can teach you all the things you need to know like she and she's got she's got good hair and look uh, at my fucking my... binary thinking I was restricting myself to male characters for Mary Thank you for like blowing through that. God bless you. You're welcome. And my fuck <laughs> is obviously Duncan fucking Idaho. Ah! <laughs> I'm sorry. I love him. <laughs> His whole like, I'm drunk. Where's the copy? Let's bother Jessica. I love that scene. Um, I think. By the way. Every time Duncan Idaho showed up on the scene, I couldn't help but picture Joey. What's up, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> because the first time I met you guys in real life, like you were in a fucking still suit and Joey was Duncan Idaho. And like that like and then I was like, Yeah, every time Duncan Idaho is described, it sounds like Joey. I see why <laughs> they picked him. <laughs> yeah, Duncan Idaho. Good. All right. Uh the next section I have, uh, and there's only a couple more, uh, is is called Is It Fashion? Uh hmm. so uh, who who would you cosplay? Uh aka who's the best dressed character? Lady uh, Jessica. Yeah. Like, no question. <laughs> Lady no question. Jessica. <laughs> like, Jessica in the desert, the Reverend Mother, Jessica, Jessica as Ooh. the concubine. Because I Ooh. feel like she had a lot of, like, stylistic yeah. changes. Yeah, and, and, and that was part of actually what made Jessica, like, the only character I, like, or the obvious character to me to cosplay um, is because she has so many choices. Um, uh, I mean... In deference to the conversation that that we were having, like just before we started this call, I'm gonna go Reverend Mother Jessica. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> like you want a hat? You want some kind of cool hat? <laughs> well, it's more. You know. You know what? I probably am the kind of bitch who's gonna throw an orgy when you're not looking. So, <laughs> like, have at those uh, blessed waters, my friends. 
enjoy i mean like i agree with you i i would also if i you know like i do want to cosplay like all the benny jesuits i have you know yeah. i have my alia <laughs> i have my alia in still suit which is like alia doing like religious stuff uh in her fake ass still suit uh but i i you know there's a there's so much good art if you get on tumblr and just go into like the dune tags um or even like deviant art if you're as old as me uh there's just so much good concept art out there that's one of the reasons i'm Mm -hmm. so excited for like a modern movie uh but there's a lot of great things that i would love to like translate into a costume but the benny jesuits have the best uh i think the atreides have their own special flair for fashion Mm -hmm. uh and i really also like and you know we i think we gravitate towards uh praise when stories include fashion as uh like a plot point because like the harkonnens are red they're mm-hmm. the uh, the atreides are green and black and they mm-hmm. you know like fashion becomes like a thing it's like power it's like how you present yourself and it's how you show yeah. your wealth uh and i and i always just think of like all the portraiture from like you know the 15th and 16th centuries of people in big collars and like funny mm-hmm. hats uh, yeah yeah well, I will be honest. One of one of to me the like the most striking scenes in my head visually was actually at the beginning of the book when when Duke Leto is looking at Jessica and like admiring like her choice of dress amongst the other women at this event and you know basically the fact that and and I think part of why this stood out to me is that it echoes i guess my fashion ethos as well but it's like this both like stately elegant timeless and yet completely like in sync with what like is going on Mm -hmm. you know it's like this weird kind of um ability to to be timeless and yet of the time and place that you are and so like it it, like to me it it, what it what it said was this is like jessica's authentic expression of herself like she is literally she is expressing herself and her sense of who she is and like the power that she has and the sense of self that she has like the confidence in herself the the belief in in her course and her righteousness and you know whatever through like the sartorial choices she makes and like that was really striking to me i mean for especially for a book written by a man for that to be like from a man's point of view in the book you know Mm -hmm. that he's like she's you know an autumn leaf among like i I forget the analogy but like (laughs) yeah it's like fashion as iconography it tells you about the character to to pay attention to to and then you know like yeah i read plenty of books by authors where they don't they don't care about that uh Mm -hmm. but I love it so much more because it's real. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I would also, so yeah, I would love to cosplay any of the, uh, any of the Benny Deserts. Uh, I think Irulan, I mean, she's a Benny Deserit technically <laughs> as well, has like some cool shit going on probably because yeah. she's, you know, princess of the universe. So that's gotta be epic. <laughs> uh, uh, and then also, I just, I think the Harkonnens, they might be dirty, but I think they've probably got it going on. Like Fade, Fade's gotta mm. be hot. Yeah, like I'm picturing Loris uh, Tyrell, you know, kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all ginger-like, but, like, hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they're, like, hot gingers. Um, so, whatever. I don't know. I That's kind of weird to think after watching Anne with an E. Like, now she's a Harkonnen in my head. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we um, the next section I was going to say was... Uh, if is there more of it should i read it uh obviously i think you should there's lots more dune uh, 
but you know that's my opinion uh and then our final section uh in honor of dune and i'm just gonna keep doing it is called is there a worm in it (laughs) (laughs) uh the answer is yes and you are so gonna be really surprised how many times we get to say yes when we're reading books is there a worm in it yes (laughs) Uh, yeah because i'm not think about it well, I'm, I was going to say, I'm not sure that we've yet read a book that has a worm in it. So, like, what about, like, W-Y-R-M? Ooh. Ooh. Low blow, but good call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, my dragon fucking books, if we ever get around to them, totally going to fit. <laughs> yeah, see? It's always better if they're... Ask yourself, dear readers, when you're looking at a book, when you're playing a video game, when you're watching a movie, is there a worm in it? Because it is would it always better be with better. A worm. It's always better with a worm in it. <laughs> uh, any la- any last, you know, closing closing thoughts? Um, okay, my my closing thought is this: um, I finished this book really recently, like within the last week, and I'm still not sure if I actually liked it because this is this it's the sort of book that like there's so much to absorb um, and parse through and think about that like it's gonna take me a while to understand what it was and then like a while from that to understand what I really felt about it so Mm -hmm. I don't know yet if I liked the book itself I liked that I read it I liked that I have experienced it um it's definitely I mean I I absolutely understand like why it has the place that it has and like the science fiction canon and like why it's such a classic and so like I guess considered like such a seminal um, sort of book that it has influenced so much and, you know, includes so much. And I don't know. So, I mean, like I said at the beginning, thank you for making me like read a bucket list item, you know, on my life reading list, because uh, by my standards, I was literally never going to read this book because (laughs) because I couldn't get past those first fucking 50 pages. I, you know, but I, I really feel like we, as, as a, as a, as a female fan of Dune, I really just have this quest to just claim it. I want to just rip it out of the hands of the shitty dudes that <laughs> think that they know why I like this book because they yeah. don't. Uh, and I, I, and I, and I appreciate that you were willing to go on this journey through this kind of silly silly story about a guy who can ride worms through the desert uh, i will say this rachel like your comment that you made to me about i don't read it that way i read it as like a feminist critique on you know male privilege and war culture and aggression and like look at it through that lens like that really helped me because like i i hadn't realized how much i was already looking at it through that lens and like kind of reacting negatively to it uh-huh. but like you saying that helped me take a step back and then look at it like in a in a critical way but like a way that i could like disengage my emotional reaction and then just like in and then engage with it intellectually on that level. Yeah. So, and I think that, and I, and again, I, and I, and I keep saying this. I think that reading um, Dune Messiah and especially Children of Dune has helped me do that. Mm-hmm. I think that if I had not read those books, and I mean, I've read God Emperor and Heretics and Chapter House, um, I several times, but <laughs> you know, I, 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 but especially Children of Dune, I. 
if I had never read any of those books and I had just read Dune when I was 15, I don't know if Dune would mean as much to me now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, without the idea, especially Alia and what she goes through when she's older, uh, that has really helped me kind of frame Dune. And I'm, like I said, I'm not, I mean, yeah, like authorial intent is important. And I think that's really, you know, if, it, if Frank turns out to be, you know, like a child touching uh you know bootlegger or something then i guess i'll have to reevaluate the novel again but he's not and uh i i what's what's more important to me is how i interpret the story and how and how i've made it um relevant to me uh so that and you know and i and you can argue with me about it on the internet if you want listeners the I, I just think that Dune does have more to offer than because, uh, like, especially there's been a lot of backlash against it because it's one of those things that kind of like shitty trolly guys on the internet, white guys mm-hmm. on the internet, kind of want to claim as theirs. Yeah, uh, and I think they're fucking wrong, and I think that Frank would think that they're wrong too. Yeah, I mean, from you know reading it as a 35 year old woman, um, I. I honestly couldn't tell, like, what the authorial intent was, but uh, looking at his grizzled-ass mug on the uh, the back <laughs> flap, I find it very difficult to believe that he believed in the Messiah story. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that he was, I think that he was uh, a very critical thinker who was exactly. very interested, who was very interested in long-term thinking and who, yes. and who felt that humanity and the planet we live on are intimately connected. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I would like to end with uh, one of, one of my favorite, one of Irulan's, uh introduction quotes. Uh, yes. It is a thing. It is a quote that I have used to get me through many an argument, uh, many an <laughs> obsession, uh, Many a late night uh, thought spiral. Uh, This is from The Collected Sayings of Muad'Dib by Princess Irulan. Arrakis teaches the attitude of the knife, chopping off what's incomplete and saying, now it's complete because it's ended here. So I think that's very wise. Uh, (laughs) um, So it's your turn, Elena. What are we going to read next? Okay, so um, I once upon a time threatened you with the Dune Illusion Continuum, which was you make me read a fucking long-ass saga book, and I will make you read a long-ass saga book. Um, As it happens, we're not going to do that. Uh, We'll save um, probably what's my favorite book of all time for another time. Um, What I'm going to do instead is ask you to read another ecological science fiction book where the setting is a main character, perhaps the main character, um, and have you read Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Oh, very, yeah, that's very smart. Okay, yeah, I have not read that, and I have also not seen the movie. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie either, so, um, you know, we can talk about whether we want to see the movie and include that in our discussion or not off screen um but yeah uh it's a book that i read for for my book club actually and i really loved and uh really resonated with and i can't wait to talk to you about so yeah that's what we're reading cool
more drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Hold on to your cool. mushrooms, kids. It's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> just think, you know what? Just think about Duncan, Idaho and... Just breathe the spores and uh, <laughs> and it'll all be well. Think about think about worms doing it. It's gonna be fine. All right, be cool. the worm, baby. Be the be worm. the worm. Be the worm. Be a twenty thumper worm. Don't be a five thumper worm. You are a twenty thumper worm. <laughs> be an old man of the sea. <laughs> yes, bless the maker and his coming and going and his passing and something cleansing the universe. I think. And just for you, this is me spitting into the wine. It is now sanctified. Let the orgy begin. Yes. All right. Cool. All right. See you next episode. Yep. (laughs) 